a short one and a half minute video up because some of you have been into prison, some of you haven't, so I thought I'd bring the prison to you and you can just sort of have a, a chook's look at uh, what we do over there. We run a class called Step Out, Step Free. And then once we've done that, I've, I've, I've got somewhere else to go in terms of our time together this morning. And over the last couple of years, um, many of the men of Catalyst have been a great encouragement around a Japanese restaurant called Daikoku or a Chinese restaurant and, and brought us out or brought me out and, and sat around and it has been a great encouragement. I thank you for that. If you, I'm not sure what you guys do, whether you open tablets, I've just got this tablet so I'm still trying to learn how to use it, or whether you've got Bibles or whether you throw it up on the screen or, or what you do, I haven't told you anything about this, Matt. Um, Exodus 2, I just want to start our time together in Exodus 2. I, I asked Mark last night a couple of things. We were talking and what I had prepared I've, I've put aside and so we're going to go on a journey together. Uh, so it's all still germinating, so have fun. And uh, he said something about 40 minutes. Is that right? A Fiji 40 minutes or an Australian 40 minutes? What are we, what are we doing here? What are we talking about? And uh, so Exodus 2 is where I want to start. And there's a couple other verses I'm going to bring through. But I, I, I want to tell a story. Exodus 2 is a really fascinating verse. Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25. For Christians, John 3.16 is one of the verses. You sort of say to anyone, you know, put your finger to a verse. And people will, John 3.16 is, is a great verse. Everyone knows it. It's generally the most common Christian verse that people go, yep, yep, I know that one. That one's important. For the Jewish people, and I would say even for us as Christians, Exodus 2, 23 to 25, are some of the most profound verses in Scripture. And they go like this. They're really simple verses. And they go like this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. It's just a story. A couple of little verses tucked at the end of chapter 2 of a much bigger story. And so what's so important about these couple of little verses? In the story, in the, in the Jewish history and their whole process, they have this body of work called the Midrash. The Midrashic documents, which are their own commentary, their own story, their own history. And so they've got their own, they write about this time that after 400 years of slavery, of being in Egypt... It was a living hell. But it wasn't just a living hell. They had really become people who were not only oppressed and pushed down, but they'd become people of garbage. 
See, when we are fed garbage, we learn how to have a diet of being people that just eat garbage. Garbage in, and so I want more garbage. And so it's the reality that, that the oppression of 400 years, yeah, they'd started with Joseph, they'd started in this place where they'd been given this land and they were shepherds and they were doing stuff and then they'd become a threat and then they were put under slavery. And so they were no longer worshipping God. We have this picture that they're waiting. Yeah, they were waiting, but they weren't worshipping God. There were very few of them. Their own historians say there were very few of them still following Yahweh or having any real comprehension of who he was. And so they write of themselves, this is not me pointing the finger, they write of themselves and saying they were people not worthy to be redeemed. What's that look like? They're people that you would just throw aside and go, don't, don't, don't put the effort in. Give up, look, look you know, don't, don't go there. You're going to invest, you're going to get burnt, you're going to get used, don't go there. So after 400 years of slavery, they'd become less than people. They were adulterous. They were immoral. They were worshipping any idol. Because the reality is, is that if if I'm under slavery, I'll do anything to the person who is my master to try and lift the slavery. And so when you look into the history, it really was this case. You want me to worship this God? Yeah, I'll worship this God. You want me to sacrifice my children? Yeah, I'll do that. You want my wife? Okay. They'd become people who were less than less. They were not waiting, worshipping with Yahweh in mind. Then the verse says, during that long period, then the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. What do you understand? The text doesn't say here that they prayed. The text doesn't say they set aside a time to pray and fast. The text says they groaned. What does it take? For someone to groan. What's the pain in their life? What's the dislocation? What's been lost? What hopes have been just ripped away for someone to just groan? They groaned. And their groan went up to God. We think that worship has to be right. We think that prayer has to be well-crafted and fashioned. And here is the great encouragement that all I've got to do is groan. God heard their groaning. 
God heard. Suddenly we have a God who hears. We have a God who hears his people. He hears the pain. He hears the groan. He hears what we find so uncomfortable to express that we can't put it in words and yet it's so it comes out just as a, oh, what a God. He hears. And then something amazing comes out of the text that the Jewish people just love because they know who they were and God remembers. What does he remember? Their sin? their offences, the fact that they're not even people worthy to invest and, you know, you'd sweep them out the door. Go, get out of here. You're a nuisance. What's he remember? He remembers his covenant. This is what I made you for. This is who I am to you. This is what I promised. And where you are, my child, is not where you're meant to be. I find that, just that, so powerful. Our prisoners find that so powerful because suddenly we have a God who's not saying, when you've got it right, when you've got your act together, Peter, then I'll, I'll do this. We've got a God who's saying, I remember, I made you, I fashioned you, and for us, I sent my son for you. I remember when you look at the process of relationship, and I don't know Paul at all. I don't think I've ever seen you, Paul, have I? Whew, lucky for that, eh? <laughs> so, but if we're going to build relationship, we're gonna, I'm going to hear Paul. And then as he talks about who he is, I'm not going to remember him for his failures. I'm going to remember him for who he is and who his, his de desires and dreams and who he hopes to be and what he's accomplished and what he still hopes to accomplish. But then more than that, and the text brings this out, I'm going to see him. And the text says, God looked. Other versions say God saw. I'm going to see face to face. And then finally the text says, and God knew. Some versions say the word knew, some say concerned, some say God understood, some say God knew it was time to act. But when you go into the original text, it, it, it's a concept of intimacy. Because all of us want to be understood. As we work in the prisons, the greatest thing that we bring as a gift is to listen so that someone is understood. The greatest point of loneliness is the fact that we're not understood. No one understands me. And yet here we have God saying, I understand. Because to understand means that I've got to come close enough to feel the pain and the dislocation and the hope and the aspiration and the dream and everything else. And this is why these verses are so powerful. 
because we see God after an absence, God after a period of time coming into relationship. And then we see that that relationship bearing right out through the rest of Scripture, right into the person of Jesus Christ. He came in the form of man to hear, to remember his purpose, to see and to understand us so that we have hope. In 1997, the 3rd of April, 1997, these verses became my reality. How did that happen? It wasn't from a lot of my effort, but it was from a God who, who hears and remembers and sees and understood that Peter needed to come into the relationship with him. Because truly before that, I was groaning, but groaning behind some incredibly crafted masks. Because you wouldn't, I didn't want to hear anyone to see my groan, I didn't want anyone to hear my groan, but in truth, deep in behind the masks, I was groaning. I was married to Jill, had two children. I was an investment advisor uh, looking after other people's money and yet the truth was I was corrupt. If you're able to peel open my heart, you would have seen a, a little temple, a little shrine and what I was worshipping was money. What my graven image was, the thing that I put all of my focus and all of my attention on was, was money. And so if you if had been able to peel this open, swing the door of my heart open to see really what, what was going on inside Pete, come on. You would have seen that, that there were idols. There was MX cards and you know, cash and all sorts of things. Because what I was worshipping was not God, but what I was worshipping was money. But the other things you would have seen in there is I was really truly worshipping myself because what I wanted was success. I wanted to be seen to be the successful man. And money was the path for that. Now you've got to understand, I grew up in the 80s and some of you will understand that. The 80s were heady times. But for me, it, 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 growing up even in a Christian home, the Word of God says, hey, don't have any other graven images. Don't, don't worship anything but the Creator. And yet, where was I every Sunday? But what was I really worshipping in here? God? No, we, you, we spoke of this and sang about this this morning. Apprehend my heart. Let me put everything to you. But in truth, what I was doing week in, week out was worshipping myself. I was my own graven image. And the road, the idols on that path, on that journey were money and success, etc., etc., etc. And so as I wandered this path, I became more and more entrapped in it. The captivity was stronger. 
And so I would do different things and throw myself more ardently, more purposely into, you know, making sure that I was doing my Bible study and reading this and reading this. But the truth is, the biggest problem was within me. And I wasn't prepared to let go of self. I wasn't prepared to, to, to put this graven image down. How did I get to that point? When we love money, when, when something else other than God, other than Christ is our focus, our core focus, we become blinded. And so over time, I'd got, I'd, I'd got trapped in a couple of things and, and I could have got my way out of them. But because success was so important for me and to acknowledge these and to own up to this meant failure, I, there was no way that I could steer there. So I covered it. And so while a technical term is fraud and newspapers write about white-collar crime... I became nothing more than a common thief. I stole. But worse than that, worse than stealing, like breaking and entering a house where you can see the damage and you can see the, what's been taken, I, I stole and people didn't know that I stole from them. So my betrayal of them was deeper. And it was undeserved. And so I started stealing from Peter to pay Paul and robbing Mary to pay Jane. And, and, and it, it took a life of its own. Let me talk to you about the life of its own. See, when we have something of a secret, there's great power in the secret. But there's great captivity in the secret. And so for me, this was my secret. No one knew about it. Jill didn't know about it. My clients didn't know about it. ASIC didn't know about it. No one knew. But it was my secret. And I was wrestling with this. Was I guilty? Yes. The voice of God is great in guilt. <laughs> if you want to first hear the voice of God, it's first in guilt. God speaks through guilt. But I, the secret was too important for me because my image was too sacred. And so the power of the secret kept growing within me. And so therefore the secret covered sin and sin led to slavery. And I was a captive. I could not escape it. Did I cry out to God? Yep. Did I confess, as it says in James, confess your sins to one another so that what's hidden comes into light, what's a false witness becomes a truthful witness, what's secret becomes exposed and, 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 and comes disarmed? No, I didn't do that. And so if you look into Psalms, <clears throat> Psalm 32, it's a great psalm. Look at verse 3. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me and my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This is David writing. And it starts in Psalm, in verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Secrets bring deceit. And so I wanted the first part of the passage. I wanted to be forgiven. Lord, forgive me. I wanted my sins covered. I wanted God to remember, not my sins anymore, but remember my future. But I wasn't prepared to encounter the living God on his terms. I was kept wanting to encounter the living God on my terms. So I kept silent and my bones wasted away. I got sick emotionally, physically, spiritually. I groaned all day long. Your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped. On the 3rd of April, 1997, I woke up that morning not wanting to confess. And that's the strangest thing. But I went to bed that night having confessed. I had four options. One was to suicide. Like, how can I get escape this? How can I escape Suicide was an option. Taking a heap of money and, and running to another country was another option. I had access to millions and I could have done that. The third one was trying to fix the problem, but I'd been trying to fix the problem for years because, but not realising that sin is a slippery slope and once you're on that slippery slope, woo, wait, you go. And then the fourth one was confession. And I... I didn't realise the power and the freedom that lay behind that little word to confess. I, I found myself on that day in the morning worried, troubled, trying to work out what to do to fix this. And as I went through the day, all I can say is that God, by his grace, and we've spoken about grace and mercy, God, by his incredible grace and amazing mercy, carried me over a decision that I was struggling to make. I, I, I had so much fear because my idol was so big. Somehow or other, God pushed me across the divide. He carried me over it. And I found myself in front of a lady who was a pastor who I didn't really know, so she was sort of somewhat safe. And I said, look, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing. And she heard the first part of my confession. And with great wisdom and great maturity said to me, Peter, you need to go home and tell your wife. <laughs> oh, because I thought Jill would go, yeah, see you later, pack up the bags, I'm out of here. And she had every right to. Because I was, who was this man that she'd married? So I, I rang Jill. Some of you may remember, this is the day, 97, what were the mobile phones? Like, they were like big bricks, I think, at the time. So I rang Jill and I said, got something really important to talk to you about. Can we 
have an early dinner, put the kids to bed, and, and then I'm going to talk. So she was like, whoa, what's happening here? So we did that, put the kids to bed early, and we sat together, and I began to tell her my secret. This is who I am. This is what I have done. There were many tears. Jill was just confused. She said to me at one point, who are you? And she had every right to ask that. Who, who, who? I didn't know who I was. And so we sat for many hours talking and crying and, and shock as I just bought it all out. Truth knocking away the secret. I then went out into the lounge room, probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I remember being on my knees, broken, crying, having lost what I thought was everything. And so I did what I'd always done before. I cried out to God and I said, God, forgive me. And just as you're sitting here and I'm going to use you as the example I felt this incredible forgiveness just come as a gift. And not only just come and go, you know, I didn't hold it, it, it swept into me. And I felt clean. And I didn't know I'd been unclean. And I felt peace. And I didn't know I'd, well, I, I did know I hadn't had peace. And I heard the voice of God. Speak to me. I was in shock because what God was doing was he was both hearing me, remembering what he had created me for, seeing me, but not only that, coming into a deep place of understanding. I am with you. Next morning, I still breathe heavy about this one. I went up to see my father-in-law and said, Bill, and Bill's passed away. Bill's a great man. Bill, this is, what I, this is who I am. This is what I've done. Men, it's a hard thing to do. And my father-in-law said to me, Peter, I forgive you. I was in shock. I expected anger. I expected condemnation. And he said, I forgive you. I then drove 45 minutes to my parents sat in front of them and said, this is who I am, this is what I've done. And with tears, they forgave me. Then I rang my lawyer and I told her, and she rang the police, and the police said, we're really busy, can, you come, can Peter come next week? <laughs> but... The 3rd of April 1997 began a remarkable journey. A remarkable journey. And how did the journey begin? It began by, by, by realising that secrets enslave us. Did I really know that at that time? No, I was just broken. I was just destroyed. And sin had destroyed me and I needed to be destroyed. So that God could do what God needed to do and be God. 
So two and a half years of an incredible journey where God never left me. And pleading guilty, working with the police, providing everything to them. And then I end up in prison for two, I got a three-year sentence and I had to serve two. And that was like going into hell. I was like, woo, boom. Two years in prison, came out the end of that with just sort of shell shock. And realised that I still had to now go through another restoring. Because I wasn't sure how to be a husband and I wasn't sure how to be a father. And yet I had three children at this point wanting a father. I had a wife wanting a husband. And I was sort of bouncing around in there. Prison's a fairly dislocating process. And I had no desire for ministry. I didn't feel that I had any validation to even do that. And so for four years, we were quiet in a little country town called Dungog. And then in 2005, God spoke and said, I want you back in the prison. And I was gutted. I was angry. How dare you push me back to the place that was just such a horror. And then he said, I want you to go to Fiji and I'm going to open the prison door. And that's as much as he said. So December 2005, we packed our bags, five suitcases, three children, one wife, no sending church, no support, everyone thinking we're crazy somewhat. And we went to Fiji and three weeks later, God did what he said he would do. He, would, he opened the prison door and we're, all, we're in our ninth year and we're still there because he's still got the prison door open. So why am I telling you all this? I'm telling you all this because you took half of my words this morning when you were talking and you did as well. I never want you to lose the wonder of his mercy. Last three weeks ago, Four weeks ago, we were doing a class in the Sinu prison. We're in seven prisons now. Um, and there's a young man, not a young man, a man about 35 called Chonny. And Chonny's in our class. We run these classes and they've, they've become really popular, which is really strange um, because it just is the way it is. And so it became, and they, they, they have impact. And so the prison service have said, everyone's got to do the class. So we have Hindus and Muslims and all sorts of people come in because they've all got to do the class. So here's this young man, a man called Chonny. And I look at his rap sheet. And I, I mean, I don't need to look at his rap sheet. I've only got to look at his face. I can see it. I can see his rap sheet in his face. <laughs> and on this occasion, he's in for one count of burglary, two counts of common assault and two charges of rape. It's heavy stuff, and he's in for a long time. So we start the class, and I watch as we teach and as we're praying, and I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and the team are up at God knows what time, interceding for these men that we're, we're working with. And I see the wrestle in his eyes, because it's always, you can always see the wrestle begin in the eyes. 
the wrestle of the soul, day by day by day. And then we see Johnny come past something and encounter something. And I can say to you today, Johnny is not the man that he was two months ago. He's got a long journey. Long journey, but Johnny loves Jesus. He has fallen in love with Jesus. He no longer is falling in love with his own power and his own indulgence and his own sexuality. He is in love with Jesus and he's owning his stuff. And it shocks me because I look at it and I go, well, we didn't do that. But the God that heard the cry of the children in Israel in Egypt and the God who heard my cry has heard Johnny's cry and has gone, I am a God of mercy. Come taste my mercy. As Christians, once we've been Christians for a while, we, we know the routine and we know the language. We know the process. And can I say one of the things that we lose is the perspective of the power of Jesus who hung on a cross and his last encounter was with a common criminal, praise God, <laughs> and who said, I, I'm going to the Father so that this experience can be common that you can have victory, that you can walk in the places that I've desired you to walk. So where am I going with all of this? I come here today with a real desire that you would experience again the freshness of the relationship. I know, I know as I look around, as I, as I know you as much as I know me, we, you, you want to be heard. You want to be remembered. You want to be seen and you want to be understood. And like me, Often I thought that money would hear me, that money would remember me, that money would see me and that money would understand me. But it was a lie. And you can change money for anything else. It can be position. It can be the job. It can be the relationship. It can be all sorts of things that we go, this is how I want to be heard. This is how I want to be seen. This is how I want to be remembered. This is how I want to be understood. And Scripture tells us that the one who hears us best remembers us most beautifully, sees us deeply and understands us truly is Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge 
as much as I want to encourage, I want to challenge that where are your images? Where are your desires being met? Where is the place of your idolatry? Where is the rubbish? Where is the secret? Because today, today of all days, is a great day to give our hearts afresh to our Lord and to our Saviour. To give him entry. This is Palm Sunday. This is the day that he came triumphant. And so my challenge and my encouragement is will you let him come triumphant into your hearts? I'm going to ask you guys to come up. I've no idea how long I've spoken for. Um, and start playing. And, and if anyone wants to come forward for prayer, um, please do that. Please feel free to do that. Because this is, this is the day that Christ was seen as Lord and King. This is the day that he rode on the donkey and people remembered. This is the day that he was seen and he was understood to be that before he then went to the cross. This is the triumphant day. This is the day when the power of Jesus Christ was revealed to a whole group of people who stood and gave glory to him. Children waved palms. Blankets were thrown down. And so what are you prepared to throw down? What are you prepared to lay down to allow Jesus to come triumphant into your heart, into your life, on a day that is the most triumphant of all days? Do you desire to be heard, to be remembered, to be seen, and to be understood. For it is by grace that we have been saved.